Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Listen again for the word of the Lord. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from Genesis chapter 22 covers what may be the most difficult moment in the life of Abraham. Remember Abraham? When Abraham was 75 years old, God shows up and says, go, leave your home, your family, your friends, go to the land which I will show you. And in an act of faith, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, go. They settle in the land of Canaan near modern-day Israel, and Abraham grows wealthy. When Abraham is 99, God shows up again and says, I will make you a father of many nations. I will give you a son by Sarah, and the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. Now, circumcision is a little inconvenient if you're trying to get pregnant, but okay. In an act of great faith, Abraham does what God asks. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah welcomed their son, Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 22, the Lord appears again. And this appearance isn't like the ones before. Instead of a promise, the Lord offers a test. Take your son, Isaac, God says. Go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him as a whole burnt offering. I'd like to tell you that the Hebrew word there means something like consecrate or dedicate your son, but it doesn't. It means whole burnt offering. God told Abraham to go to a new land. Abraham went. God told Abraham to cut his own flesh. Abraham did. God told Abraham to kill his own child. And in an act of extreme faith, Abraham packed the knife. This story is remembered every year during Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year celebration. During that holiday, the traditional prayers call on God to remember the great faith of Abraham. And among Christians, Abraham is praised for his willingness to go wherever God calls him, however far that is, even when God calls him to do something truly appalling. And what Abraham does is truly appalling. 
If you find it appalling, you're not alone. It's not just an affront to our modern sensibilities. There is a long line of rabbis and scholars throughout the centuries who have taken issue with this passage. There are pastors who will not preach on it, saying there is nothing edifying about this story. But I believe scripture is a gift that we receive as a whole. And as Christians, it's our right, even our duty, to explore those nooks and crannies, even when they lead to difficult places. When we look closer at this passage, we notice that running alongside the story of Abraham's relationship with God is a second story of Abraham's relationship with his family. And when we look closely, we find that this is not the first time Abraham has failed to protect and defend someone in his care. So let's look at the story again. When Abraham is 75, God says, go to the land which I will show you. Abraham and Sarah go, but there's a famine in the land. So they keep going all the way down to Egypt. In Egypt, the Pharaoh notices Sarah. The Pharaoh is interested in Sarah. Why is he so interested? Because Abraham led him to believe she wasn't married. Abraham hands over his wife to be a concubine in Pharaoh's house. And in return, he is showered with gifts, sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, and slaves. When Pharaoh finds out he has been deceived through an act of divine intervention, he kicks Abraham out of his country. Pharaoh is appalled, but Abraham keeps the gifts. When Abraham is 99, God says, I will make you a father of many nations. I will give you a legacy and a son by Sarah, and the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. After those wounds heal, Abraham and Sarah journey west to the land of the Philistines, where the king of the Philistines notices Sarah. He is also interested in Sarah. And we wonder, will Abraham do the right thing this time? Will he protect the wife he loves or he says he loves? No. Again, he hands over his wife to be a concubine in the king's house. When the king of the Philistines finds out, through a vision from God, he is appalled for he is a righteous Philistine. Who knew? There are righteous Philistines. The king is one of them. He gives Sarah back. And then he goes even further. He gives Abraham sheep, oxen, slaves, cash, grazing rights. He pays restitution to Abraham, despite the fact that Abraham was in the wrong. Does Abraham admit that he lied? Sure but he keeps the gifts. Abraham exploits his wife for personal gain. There's a name for people that exploit the women in their care for personal gain. Sarah isn't the only family member to be mistreated. During this time, Abraham has a son named Ishmael. He has this son with Hagar, one of Sarah's Egyptian slaves, maybe one of the slaves they received from Pharaoh. Sarah gets irritated with Hagar and Ishmael. He wants, she wants them kicked out of the house. 
Now, Abraham feels guilty about doing that. He preys on it. But does the guilt spur him to action? Does he right the injustice in his own house? Does he act with the kind of courage we'd expect from a patriarch of the faith? You know the answer, no. No, he packs them a lunchbox and he sends them into the desert. It's easy to feel badly about injustice. It takes courage to do something about it. Out in the desert, Ishmael is on the brink of death when God steps in and saves him and his mother. When Sarah is handed over as a concubine, God also stepped in, intervening with both the Pharaoh and the Philistine king. And God is the one that saves Sarah. See, here's the thing about our God. When someone is being mistreated, God steps in on behalf of the victim. In contrast to Abraham's unwavering love for God is his repeated mistreatment of his family. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham attempts to sacrifice Isaac. The sacrifice of children is not unheard of in Abraham's day. It was usually done as a desperate bid for the attention of the gods. In times of national crisis, the child of the king was sometimes sacrificed. And our Bibles record this happening, even in ancient Israel. Second Chronicles says that King Ahaz sacrificed his children. King Manasseh sacrificed his as well. Jeremiah chapter 7 says the people of Judah have sacrificed their children. And every time we read this, we read that those people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Every time this happens in the Bible, the people doing the sacrificing are categorically condemned. There was a special place where King Ahaz, King Manasseh, and the people of Judah were sacrificing their children. The Bible tells us the name of the place was Gehenna. Where's Gehenna? It's a valley outside of Jerusalem. Gehenna is still known hundreds of years later at the time of Jesus. Jesus uses the word Gehenna 11 times in the Gospels, but you might not have noticed it because every single time our English Bible translates it as hell. See, Jesus uses Gehenna as a synonym for hell. We know where God stands on child sacrifice. So what's going on in Genesis 22? The events of Genesis 22 follow the events at Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. These were two large cities near the shores of the Dead Sea. And Abraham learns that God plans to destroy them because of rampant abuse and violence happening there. Up to this point, Abraham has gone along with God's plans. He's never even raised a question. But when it comes to wiping out an entire city, this is a step too far for Abraham. And at last, at last, we see his compassion. He steps up to protect and defend these cities. He protests to God. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing. Can you imagine talking to God like that? 
Far be it from you to do such a thing. They're bold words. They're words of protest. And here's the thing about protest. My children protest to me sometimes. They say things like, it's not fair. They launch those protests at me. Why? Because they know I care. And they know I care about fairness. If they didn't think I cared, they wouldn't say the words. We protest because we believe that God cares. So the protest itself tells us something about Abraham's relationship with God. Abraham believes that God is merciful and just. And it tells us something about their relationship. They have a relationship built on trust, enough trust that Abraham has the freedom to argue, negotiate, to speak his mind. So Abraham does. He begs God to spare those cities. And the cities burn anyway. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah changes Abraham. I think it changes him. I think it changes what he thinks about God. So when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, Abraham falls silent. Where's the protest about God's goodness? Where's the protest about God's justice and mercy? Does Abraham even believe those things about God anymore? See, I wonder if the test at Mount Moriah isn't about Abraham's obedience. I wonder if God is testing their relationship. I wonder if God wonders, who does Abraham really think I am? If this test is about relationship, it reaches a, a stunning conclusion. Did you catch the end of the story? The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, now I know you fear God. Is fear what God was after? Is fear why God kept showing up to talk with Abraham, to share meals with him, to make a covenant with him, just so Abraham could fear him? We know Isaac fears God too. Remember Isaac? He's the one tied up on the altar tied up by the person who is supposed to love and protect him. Isaac has a special name for God. And when you pray, you might have a special name for God. Well, Isaac does too. He calls God the fear. Isaac hasn't learned to love God. He hasn't learned to walk with God. He's learned to fear God. Abraham's relationship with his family is never the same. After this, Sarah dies. She dies in a city 26 miles away from where Abraham lives. He has to travel to pay his respects. After this, Isaac splits. He and Abraham never speak again, at least according to our scripture. The next time we meet Isaac, he's living 50 miles away in the desert. Abraham may not have technically sacrificed his son on that mountain, but he lost him anyway. And it makes me wonder who we have lost in pursuit of righteousness. Christians have done appalling things, said appalling things, all in the name of faith, sometimes in the name of God. There are empty seats 
in this room today. And I wonder who isn't with us because they've been taught to fear God and not walk with God. This morning we welcome a new class of church officers and as our new officers take on that leadership within the congregation, it bears remembering that with authority comes responsibility to care for God's people with as much fervor as we care for God. Because in our faith, those two are connected. Our New Testament reading lays out the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Abraham wants to prove so badly that he loves God that he's willing to sacrifice his son for it. But Jesus says, not so fast, because loving others is the second half of the command. If in our zeal for God, we hurt other people, we have failed to live by this teaching, and we have failed to understand what true righteousness is. The prophet Micah says it plainly. What does the Lord require? but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. May that be our goal. May we walk with our God today and every day. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.